right. Praise the Lord. Good morning. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, maybe we ought to get up for a few minutes here and uh, maybe shake a few hands. What do you think? I think we need a little energy this morning. Won't you guys uh, stand up for a minute, stretch out, find somebody maybe you haven't met, and let's shake some hands this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. All right, you can be seated. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot better. Hallelujah. We don't do enough of that on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to pay careful attention this morning as we get into the word of the Lord. Uh, one thing that I really um, um, always feel a burden to do is to hear a message that is for that moment and that hour. You know, to make sure it's what the Bible would call fresh manna. You know, fresh um, word for what we're all going through at that moment. And uh, there's a difference between finding that word and finding a word. How many know that to be true? You know, when it's a word from the Lord, we know it's in that hour and in that season, and we need to hear it. And uh, last night I was just praying all day, you know, all day um, from the moment I got home and all during the week, and just praying, God, you got to give me that word. And I couldn't sense that that word was there yet. And I talked to my wife around nine or ten, and she said, have you wrote your sermon yet? And I said, wrote my sermon? I haven't even heard from the Lord yet. You know, I've got a message out to the Lord to please give me a word. And uh, just kind of said, help, you know, because you got to hear that word. And if you don't hear that word, you don't move forward. And so you pray and you pray and you pray. And at 1 a.m., the Lord said, hey, this is the word. So when you hear that word in the morning, know that um, we got to really be careful to listen to what the word of the Lord is saying to our church, because it's a word for that moment. It's not just a random thing that, you know, I can't even, you know, lay my head down until I know that it's that word. And uh, so as we hear the scripture read this morning, we'll go to the Lord in prayer and just really open up your hearts and listen to the word and, and hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying this morning. Hallelujah. Can we do that? We all have a part to play this morning. Hallelujah. So let's, let's, uh, hear the scripture. Isaiah 54, verse 1. It says, Sing, barren woman, you who have never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. Now, does anybody find that to be an unusual line? <laughs> shout, you who have never had a child. <laughs> barren woman who have never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. You were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has the husband, says the Lord. These are some unusual things the Lord's saying here. Hard to understand. And so we need to really have the Holy Spirit teach us what is God trying to say here. He says, enlarge the place of your tent. Now I want you to just be struck by how unusual this is. Uh, she doesn't have any children. She doesn't have any reason to enlarge her tent because she's barren. She's never had a child. 
And he's saying, be joyful and enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate places. So these are some big promises for a woman that has no child. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray your anointing would be upon this message, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts, Lord God. Father, that your spirit, Lord God, words mean nothing, Lord God. My intellect means nothing, Lord, but your spirit, Lord God, it brings life to this place, Lord. And Father, I pray right now that these words and on this text, Lord God, would be life to everybody who hears it today, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So just to kind of set up the background here, just so you understand where this scripture came from, this is the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah was prophesying to Judah. And uh, Judah was the southern half of the nation that was Israel. In fact, in... Uh, in uh, 1050, King Saul before, became the first king of Israel. He uh, reigned for about 40 years, and in 1010 BC, David became the second king. Then Solomon uh, reigned 40 years like his father David, and around 930 BC, the nation split in half. And when they split in half, there was northern Israel, there was southern Judah. So they had a practically a civil war and became two separate nations. And Isaiah came along around the, uh, the last half of the 700s BC. And, uh, and, he, and he prophesied through several administrations, several kings, and he was there till about late 600s BC. So he prophesied for a very long time. And what we found was this nation in the northern part, when he started prophesying, they were about to be destroyed uh, because they weren't faithful to God. They weren't fulfilling the call God had on their life. And the the northern nation uh, was going into idolatry and they were being destroyed. And so Isaiah came on the scene and he was saying, he was prophesying, he was saying, please don't go the same way. Don't get into the idolatry. Don't get into the idol worship. And he was trying to help them uh, not go that direction. And then as he continued to prophesy, they began to slide in the same direction as the northern part. And so then um, his ministry uh, begins to shift after after chapter 40. And Isaiah begins to uh, prophesy that there's going to come a day that your foreign enemies will actually overtake your nation. And so he prophesies in the late 600s B.C. of a period of time that would happen a hundred years later. And so this is an amazing thing. This would be like somebody in, in 1900 prophesying that our nation is going to end and we're going to be in captivity to a foreign nation and this is what God says to you. And so God, in the darkest hour that they have, they're going to be in a 70-year captivity to a nation called Babylon. And God is saying, this is going to happen. It's going to be the darkest time in the history of this nation. He said, but I want you to have hope. I want you to know that during this period of darkness, just understand this. Although it seems like you're desolate, I'm actually asking you to enlarge your tent. 
I'm actually asking you to lengthen your cords. I'm actually asking you to drive in your stakes because I'm going to do an amazing thing through this nation. See, this nation had forgotten to evangelize. This nation had forgotten to tell the Gentiles about how great God is. God wanted them to evangelize the world. God wanted them to tell the Gentiles about His greatness. God wanted to reach the Gentiles. And this nation was hard-hearted and they refused. And so God said, I am going to do a new thing. He said, I'm going to expand your tent and I'm going to bring in all the people in the world in this tent because you refuse to. And so he's trying to give a pattern here of how he can make us fruitful. And so it's a message of hope that if we will listen to God and we will, we will understand this analogy, that God will bear fruit in our life. How many want to have fruit in your life? How many want to see God do amazing things in your life? How many want to be prophesied over and say, God, uh, and God say to you, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to make it overflow. I'm going to bring fruit in your life. I'm going to do great things in your life. You're going to do great things. You're going to see great things. Behold, you're going to see a new thing. And this was what God was telling them. But he gives them a pattern here that's very interesting. And... So just to give you a little background, I know I'll make reference to this, but yesterday, um, four of us went up to uh, Sturgis, Kentucky to set our tent up. And uh, how many here have seen the tent that we set up in different places? And it's about 54 feet long and probably about 19, 20 feet wide. And so it'll fit about 100 people in there, about 14 tables. And uh, the reason I say that is, as I was putting up the tent, I was thinking about the scripture. Because this scripture, in order to understand it, you have to understand what a large tent looks like. And so he's saying to a woman, and I want you to picture this, a woman who lives in an individual tent. I want you to picture, the, the, the person this addressed to is very important. I want you to picture the loneliness of her life. And I want you to picture the emptiness of, his, of her life and the barrenness of her life and the desire of her heart. What is the desire of this woman's heart? She wants to be fruitful. She, the desire of her heart is to have children. The desire of her heart, one of the versions says she's infertile. She wants to have the tent full. She wants to have a family. She wants to have descendants. She wants her loneliness to be gone. That's the desire of her heart in church. The desire of our heart should be fruitfulness. The desire of her heart is to see God do amazing things in our life. How many want to see fruit in your life? How many want want God to expand you? How many want to see God expand your love, expand your peace, expand your joy, expand your reach, reach your family, reach the world? How many want to live a life of victory, a life of expansion, a life of living God's promises and moving forward and doing great things for God? And I think all of us inside, we want that. We want to do great things. And so God is speaking directly to us. He's trying to teach us how to grow. In fact, the title of my message is called Growing Season. Growing Season. And how many of you know if you look in nature and you see growing season, there's some important things that are happening. I mean, there are things that are happening to trees that will only, that, that have to happen in order to have new growth. 
And, and any of you have ever worked with trees, ever had an orchard, which I've had one, the most important thing is preparing that tree for new growth. You know, any kind of garden, any kind of plant, you're always thinking about, how can I make it fruitful? How can I make it the growing season be maximized? And that's what this thing is all about that I'm preaching today. How can we have the right growing season so we can grow and expand ourselves into where God's calling us? And so God gives a pattern here that is critical to understand. Because how many know in order for God to use us, we have to grow. You say, well, Chad, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. I'm just ready for God to do what He wants to do and, 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 and He's just not doing it. How many have ever been in a season like that? You say, well, man, I'm standing still. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm not in, I'm, in, I'm, church, that's a growing season. And you say, well, man, when will I get out of it so I can actually bear fruit the rest of my life? Do you know that nature has them every year? Every year, no matter how mature the tree is, no matter how mature the perennial plant is, we always are going to be going from one growing season to the next growing season. That's how God ordained it. And so if any of us think we're going to miss a growing season, um, we're not following the pattern already. And so we've just got to figure out how does God take us from glory to glory, which he says he does. How does he take us from one growth stage to the next growth stage? And what is his purpose and what is his plan? And so I want you to begin to look with me at what he does for this barren woman. Thank you very much. Wow. I've been dry lately. I can't figure it out. I am yelling too much. I don't know. Thank you, Brother Josiah. <laughs> I had one guy that said he uh, he loved that because he felt Amish when he would say that. So, yeah, very Amish sounding, isn't it? Uh, but he tells this woman, and I want you just to begin to break it down with me. He says, Sing, barren woman, you who have never bore a child, Burst into song and shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are your children than the desolate woman, than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. So the first thing I want you to notice is, we all start out with a little self-contained tent. Let me know the body calls this body that we're in a tent, this vessel. And Jesus says that that vessel will never hold what I want to put in that vessel. He says the old vessel has to be gone and and a new vessel has to be created because it won't hold what I want to put in it. And so this vessel is always changing that God is using, right? And so we start off with this individual little vessel. How many remember when we were just a selfish little Christian? And we thought we knew everything about the gospel and we thought we knew everything about Christianity and God just started changing that tent. And that tent started to expand. And John put it this way, less of me and more of you, right? 
There's got to be, I've got to diminish and he's got to increase. I've got to decrease, he's got to increase. And we just began to learn that, hey, it's just not about me. And how many have ever put an individual tent up? You ever seen those little kid tents? You just uh, take them out of the package and throw them in the air and it's like, poof. You got a tent, right? And that's kind of how it is when we first come to the Lord. There's not much to it. It's an easy tent to put up. And then you might go to the three-person tent. And maybe the first time you do it, you were like me and it looked like a T-Rex when you were done. But you figured it out. And you begin to learn how to put it up. And then what God's saying is, I'm just going to keep expanding that thing. And so as you begin to expand it, now we're putting up a 54-foot tent. And man, if you've ever put that thing up, you know, yesterday we had like 12 people help him. Maybe more than that, 15 maybe. What would you say, Evan? Maybe 12, 15 people. We had one on every post. So on every probably six or eight posts on one side, six or eight on the other, several on the front and the back, and everybody's lifting at one time and lifting that thing up. And uh, boy, it would sure be great if we just put it up and that was it. But then the first time we put it up, we had ropes on it. And we began to tighten down on those ropes and they were not very stretchable. The ropes broke. And so we had to get new ropes. This last time we put it up, new ropes, they're longer. They adjust, they get better tension on them. It was awesome. The ones that have put it up before from then until now, this tent is something awesome. And so that tent could not function because the ropes kept breaking. I'm going somewhere here. They just kept breaking. So everything we wanted to do within that tent wouldn't work. Now I guarantee you those ropes would have worked on my single person tent. Those ropes were working on the three person tent. But when you've got a 54 foot tent, those ropes weren't adequate. And then when you had the three person tent, you could stake it down with almost anything. You could stake it down and it wouldn't go anywhere. That single person tent, pretty easy to deal with. Then you get the three-person tent, maybe your stakes get a little deeper. You know, I'm talking about the stakes where you tie the ropes down. The ropes are worthless without some kind of fastening into the earth, right? Something to give it the ability to hold when the wind comes. And the Some of you guys are saying, that's not fair, Chad. You're already preaching and you haven't even started yet. You know where I'm going with this, right? And so... Those stakes have to get deeper into the ground or what's going to happen on a 54-foot tent. 54 feet. You know how long that is? I mean, that's like from here almost to where Stacy's at. Maybe a little further. It's, I mean, that's a long... No, it's actually longer than that. Probably about here up to that, you know, sound booth right there. That's a long tent, wide, big. And boy, you better get deep into the ground if you want to hold when the weather comes and the winds start to blow. And and so, here's what's happening. He's telling us today, like he's telling Israel, he's saying, I have plans for you. 
And so he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Some of you read that wrong. That doesn't say enlarge your tent. Then it says enlarge the place of your tent. That means um, you who have no kids, make the place bigger in expectation that you're going to have kids. All right? And so this is what God does. He breathes into your life vision, purpose. You know, I'm going to do something great in your life. In fact, he did this to Joseph. He came in to Joseph and he said, Joseph, I've got all these amazing plans for your life. You know, your family is going to bow down to you. You know, you're going to be used in a mighty way. And I mean, Joseph had such amazing dreams. Went and told his brothers and they hated him and sold him into slavery. And he ended up in prison very quickly. So, man, what happens to the dreams whenever God puts him in a stinking prison? Hmm. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. God, why would you tell me all these awesome things about me? Why would you prophesy over my life and then put me in prison? But how many know God was the one that enlarged the place of the tent? He told him all the great things he was going to do in his life. And then God was directing his life. We know the end of the story, but Joseph really didn't. He was being prepared to be basically the prime minister of Egypt. His entire family, 70, were going to go to Egypt and where he was actually over the entire people, right? And God was going to take them from 70 people to in the million range by Joseph. But it didn't make any sense. Why would he send him to prison? Why would he take this guy that had everything? What a waste, don't you think? That he would take Joseph, put him into prison. But man, everything that Joseph needed to be what God called him to be started in that prison. And so he was saying, Joseph, expand your tent. Expand the land where your tent is going to be. And he's asking the woman to just have faith. Believe what I'm telling you about your life. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Well, was Moses any different? God said, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And then he gets into an altercation with an Egyptian. He's ran from the palace, ends on the back, ends up on the backside of the wilderness. What a waste. Why would he put Moses on the backside of the wilderness, raising sheep for 40 years? When he's given him all these visions of the great things he's going to do in his life. But here he is on the backside of the wilderness. He knows where every watering hole is. He knows where every patch of grass is. He knows every route there is in the wilderness. Man, sounds like a guy to me that would be a great person to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness of which he's living at that point. Do you understand how God prepares us to do what we're called to do? But it's essential that that woman who is barren believe God for what he's going to build in her life. In fact, um, he says, he doesn't just say believe it. You say, man, I could believe it, but I don't know if I could be Joseph and sing in prison 
you know, I don't know if I could be Paul and Silas singing in prison. I don't know if I can be, you know, Moses, you know, and still trusting God after 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. But how many know this first line is an act of faith? Sing, O barren woman. Not sing, woman who is pregnant with child. Sing, O barren woman. You who have never bore a child, burst into song. Do you see the excitement in that? Burst into song. Like, really be excited. Be really happy. Why? Because you have a promise. And he's saying, burst into song, shout for joy. You were never, you who are never in labor, because more will be your children than, than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch the tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and the left, and your descendants will dispossess the nations. Church, can I tell you something? That is an act of faith. That is a person deciding that I'm going to believe in the promises of God. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what my tent looks like right now. God has promised He's going to use me. He's going to do great things in my life. And so I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back down. Hallelujah. In fact, Isaiah 43 puts it this way. This is um, from a little different version. It says, do not cling to the events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing I'm going to do. It's happening already. Can you see it now? I will make a road in the wilderness and give you streams of water there. That's good preaching. That means even when we don't see it, you say, well, how am I going to ever have fruit in my life? How am I ever going to get over this addiction? How am I ever going to get over this anger? How am I ever going to get over this thing that keeps knocking me down? And the Lord's saying, shout for joy. Shout for joy, O barren woman. O barren woman who's never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. How many know that God needs some people of faith who want to bear fruit in their life? And you say, well, wait a minute. Why? What is holding me back from, from, from bearing fruit in my life? Because when, when there is a delay, when it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen, sometimes we stop. And what he's saying is all these other women had children. They had them immediately. There was no waiting No waiting, but the child of promise, there's always a delay. There's always something God has to do. God has to make us a barren woman. You say, well, what does that mean? The Bible says, uh, blessed is um, those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does poor in spirit mean? That means that I can't do it. I have no hope of doing it. There's nothing in me that can accomplish it. What God wants to do, I can't do on my own. And God will take you to a place and you say, well, Chad, I'm ready. God just isn't doing it yet. He's not ready, but I'm ready. Do you see the folly in that? Do you see the stupidity in that? I'm ready, but he's not ready. And God's saying, no, I need you to get to the point where you're like the barren woman. That there's no physical way my body can do it. There's no physical way I can accomplish it. And you say, but Chad, I have struggled and struggled and struggled with this addiction. Well, if you're still struggling, then maybe you're not barren yet. Maybe you're not fully to the point where you realize you can't do it. 
Do you understand? He said, you must be poor in spirit. That means that I understand that I don't have the ability, only he does. Only my dependence on God is going to accomplish this in my life. And God gets glory and we don't. Do you know what happens if God lets you do it without him? Well, let's, let's begin to look at that. God is going to test your limit. How many have ever uh, got done at the end of the day? And you said, my limits, man, they've been tested. I'm the only one. I feel lonely here. I feel really lonely. I'm frustrated, Chad. And you have no idea. My patience have been tested to the end. My frustration has been tested to the end. My love has been tested to the end. My endurance has been tested to the end. And I might be the only one. Anybody else ever felt that way? How many times on the backside of the desert when the God that promised Moses a certain life, how many times on the backside of the desert between his 40th year of life and his 80th year of life when he's on the backside of the desert, how many times do you think he was frustrated? but I'm better than Moses, right? (laughs) God has to do that with Moses because he's a particularly, you know, evil guy maybe, I don't know. But how many know Moses became the most humble man in the world? I mean, nobody on the the earth was more humble than, than Moses was. Did I say Noah? Moses was very humble. How many know that God has to make you entirely dependent on his strength? And you have to accomplish it through his spirit. And you say, there's none of me in there, Chad. You'd be surprised. In fact, you know that we feel like we're strong enough to hold that tent. We're we're strong enough. Have you ever been tested to the limits of your strength? You understand that God must test your limits. And that rope must snap. Because if it doesn't, you'll never buy a new rope. This last time we put the tent up, we bought new ropes and they were glorious. They were amazing. (laughs) I mean, these ropes were long. You pull them and they automatically self-tighten. I mean, I could strum that thing like a guitar string. It was so beautiful. In fact, I was, wasn't I? Evan, I was just strumming on those tent strings, you know, and... Boy, when they're long, you can get them wide. You can put them in the ground. That tent, I mean, looked beautiful. It looked just, I just kept looking at how nice it looked compared to the first time we set it up. And sometimes we say, see, here's the problem. We want the promise. I mean, it's the elephant in the room. I might as well say it. You were thinking it and I was thinking it. We want the promise, but we don't want the rest of the scripture. We're excited about the promise. We tell everybody about the promise. We tell ourselves about the promise. We look in the mirror and say, I'm the promised child. Right? But then we forget, he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. What's really interesting is... In the King James it says, 
Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtain of your dwelling. (laughs) New King James says the same thing. Let them stretch it out. And so um, the first thing we have to do is enlarge the place of the tent. We have to have the kind of faith that doesn't let go of the promise. Because God will give the promise and then He'll prepare you to give stability to the promise. Because if God builds that tent that is expanded and you know more people can be under it and it can support more people and it can bless more people and God enlarges that tent like we want and God grows your ministry. How many want God to grow the influence in your life? God can reach people through you. God can do miracles through you. You can get up in the morning. God do great things. You can produce fruit in your life. If that's going to be you, then he's got to make sure that structure is going to hold through the hardest times. And so he says, let them stretch your curtain wide. So what is God going to do? You're going to say, God, I need the patience to fulfill this ministry. In fact, God will start to do it in your life and the pressure will be too much. Trust me, I've been there. Pressure will be too much. You said you were ready, but you're on wit's end. How many have ever been there? Man, it feels like I'm about to snap. The tension is so tight. You know, I got a little bit tired. I got a little bit hungry. Somebody said something the wrong way. Somebody insulted me. Snap. You say, well, it's a good thing you're there. We can get where you are. How many know every stage of your life, God has got to stretch those ropes? God's got to put you through the next growth season. Because that next growth season is going to stretch the ropes. Those ropes are going to get longer. Those ropes are going to... And you say, well, what does that mean? That means I prayed for patience. And God put people in my life that would drive me crazy. You say, well, how is this possible, God? You made this promise and you're going to do great things through me. But all I got is trouble around me. You put these people in my life. Those are very unlovable people. He's going to stretch your ability to love. It's going to stretch your patience. How much do you think Joseph's patience was stretched in prison? I mean, I'm just guessing here that that prison wasn't nearly as nice as our facilities. It was pretty bad. Moses on the backside of the desert, I'm sure that wasn't a great life. But how many know every situation you're in right now, you think you're ready. We over... um, we over, um, what's the word? Yeah, we're overconfident. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, that's right. We're overconfident in who we are. We think we're one thing, but we're not. And so God knows what we are. And so God puts everything in our life. It says the, the, the path of the righteous, um, God has ordained it. He's set up everything. He's trying to expand your patience. He's trying to expand your love. He's trying to teach you to have peace in your life. You say, well, how's he going to try to teach me how to have peace in life? Same way he did the disciples. He took them in the middle of a storm and fell asleep. I'm just telling you the truth. This is Jesus said, let's go out in the middle of the storm. He fell asleep. And then they were about to die and perish. So... He shook his head and said, why do you guys not believe? (laughs) That's hard. 
That's hard. How many know that God will stretch your cords? You say, why is he stretching me so thin? Because you're not flexible enough. That, that thing that God's trying to build in your life, that thing that God's trying to do, you said, I want to reach my family. I want to be the kind of person that's so loving I can reach my family, but I, my mouth keeps getting in my way. How many have ever been there? So now it's even harder because God keeps putting people in my life I have to be patient and loving with. But I really want to reach my family. Do you understand what's going on here? God has put you in the perfect place. God's put you in the university of learning how to be used by God. You say, well, man, I would rather do that at church. Well, sometimes they'll do that too. I can't say that I didn't (laughs) have some of my best battles there. But how many know God will give you sometimes the most rotten people in the world? And sometimes we'll do well and sometimes we won't do well. I'm being honest with you. And those are growing seasons. Because he wants to expand the rope so that we can hold it. And you say, well, what's, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the rope thing, but what's the strengthening the stakes thing? Strengthening the stakes. Because a rope is worthless if it doesn't have a good stake. If you've got a shallow stake and that rope's the strongest rope in the world, it doesn't really matter how strong the rope is if the stake doesn't hold. And so there is something about character that when you're in the worst situation, you endure. And God does this. I, I don't know why he does. He, uh, he talks about it as a, um, as a uh, refiner's fire. He'll put you in the fire and certain impurities will burn up. And then he'll raise the temperature and the refiner says that there are certain temperatures, certain impurities come out. So the first temperature, certain impurities come out, but it can't go any hotter or it will destroy the product. So then when that's done, it cools off. They look at the reflection and the, uh, and the gold or the silver that they're refining and it's bumpy still. You know what bumpy means? That means the reflection is not really very true. So when the master looks into the gold, it needs more refining because it doesn't look like him. See, God will put the temperature up. He'll burn some impurities. He'll put the temperature up a little higher the next time and burn out the impurities. He'll put it up a little higher and burn out more impurities. And then you'll begin to look more and more like him every time the impurities are burned out. And so God is trying to see how deep uh, your character is. Like how long will you endure? And you say, well, Chad, as soon as it gets bumpy at a church, I just go to the next one. Because I want to be, I want to hang my spoon where the soup is. Right? How many have ever seen that? But how many know it helps sometimes to endure? You know, work through some things. You know, go tell somebody, you know, that we can work this out and, you know, and this is, you know, how many know that God is trying to make our character deep? And so he will often put you in situations that are almost unbearable. And he'll leave you there. And he'll fall asleep. And he'll say, and you'll say, God, we're almost about to perish. And why are you sleeping on the boat? <laughs> and it's because he's trying to make a stake that will hold. Well, man, what is it trying to hold for? Well, the wind's going to come. The storms are going to come. The 
Hard times are going to come. What happens if you're in the middle of a church and you're shepherding the people and hard times come but you have no root? As soon as the wind blows, you're uprooted and now they've got to find another shepherd. And what happens in your life when your family is trying to depend on you but as soon as that day goes wrong, as soon as things go a little bit awry, you're uprooted. And you say, but God, give me a bigger tent. I said, well, wait a minute. You know, that little windstorm kind of uprooted you. You understand what I'm saying? God's got to find a way to teach you how to dig deep in that character. Like, God, I'm not moving. You say, but I won't be happy about it. I mean, I won't go through my day and be happy about it. But I'll endure because, you know, just how many have ever done that? Like a pouting kid, I'll endure. He says, sing, barren woman. Shout for joy. Be happy because there's something about character when you can continue to love God and worship God. I mean, I picture, I picture Paul with a massive beating and just being beaten, you know, he and Silas. And man, I could just see him singing with the chains on him, rattling the chain, getting a little beat going. And how many remember Paul and Silas were dancing and singing and shouting and, and just, How many know that's where God's called us to have that kind of a joy? Like, man, I don't understand what's going on here. You know, I don't have to understand because I know that you're the one that's taking me through it for a purpose. It didn't change your vision of of what God's called you to be in your life. It's preparing you to be that person, right? Hallelujah. So he says, enlarge the place of your tent. That means have faith to know that I'm doing something amazing with your life. Let them stretch your curtains wide, so allow yourself to be stretched. Do not hold back, he says. So he's saying, like, don't just barely submit to this process. Like, don't hold back. Like, jump fully into this thing. God's doing something in your life. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But it sure didn't for Joseph, and it sure didn't for Moses. Every person in the Bible, how many know every person of faith took the same journey? This isn't an unusual journey. We're taking the same journey they took, and if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Hallelujah. Large the place of your tent, stretch your curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Church, the Lord, sure as I'm here, I sat up and the Lord just poured this into me this morning. You know that Hold strong where you're at. Strengthen your stakes. You know, God is doing a work through this season that you're going through. This is a growing season. And He's preparing you for a bigger tent. He's preparing you for bigger influence. He's preparing you for bigger things. This is how God makes His church fruitful. In fact, think about this. He was getting ready to take Israel and He was scattering them to the wind. Sounds like an awful thing. They got scattered to the entire world because they refused to reach the Gentiles, right? And God said, hey, I'm doing a new thing. I'm scattering you to the wind like seeds. You know, the Jewish religion went all over the world in this period of time. Then the Greeks came along and they put everybody, they they made everybody have a common language and guess what they were reading? They were reading the Jewish scriptures all over the world. 
They were reading about a prophesied Messiah. They were reading about all these things that God has given to the world. Then God, the Romans came in. God was lengthening these cords there. God was doing an amazing thing. Then the Romans came along and built roads, right? And then the Spirit of God fell upon the early church and they began to travel on those roads with that Greek word and they were spread all over the world and God began to preach the gospel to the entire world. How many know that God enlarged their tent? The woman who had no child, God blessed them and did amazing things through their life. What I'm saying is something that seems terrible might not be that terrible. It might be that God is using you to do something great, so be faithful. Just like Eddie said this morning, wherever you're at, be faithful because God's doing something great. And who knows, it might be through your own children. It might be through your own parents. It might be through your co-workers. It might be somewhere in this city. But how many know God has scattered us to the wind and we've got promises on our life and we've just got to endure because God knows what He's doing with your life. Don't doubt, don't fear, don't hold back. Let God do this amazing thing in your life. And and church, we'll see great things in these last days. God's got his hand on every one of us. How many believe that this morning? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Church, we're going to take communion in a moment. Ryan, we're going to go on and worship for a song here. And I just want you to find a place at the altar. Maybe you've questioned or a place at your seat. Maybe you've questioned. How many can be honest? I'm going to actually take a show of hands here. How many have felt these emotions that, hey, I feel like I'm being held back from what God wants me to do because it's been so hard. But I can promise you, church, every place of fruitfulness, we have to hold on to the promise, endure some things, and God does it in His timing, and that's how it works through the Holy Spirit. It's the child of promise, He calls it. that He's going to bring forth fruitfulness, but it's going to be Him that does it, not us. And so we've got to faithfully hold on to every promise that God has because he will, he will bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Let's just find a place to pray. We're going to pray for a moment, then we're going to take communion together. Hallelujah. And if you need prayer, that's what we're here for this morning. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. I'd love to pray that prayer with you this morning. Hallelujah. Find me um, you know, as we're worshiping here or find me after the service. But if you've never given your heart to the Lord, uh, today is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Let's find a place to pray this morning. Praise the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to have you come forward, and uh, we'll just all who are going to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. And how many know we're a family? And uh, when we come in the house of the Lord, um, this is universal teaching, meaning that all of us go through this, right? All of us have had the rope snap, and probably this week we have. And so that's why we come together. We love each other as a family. And and, um, and the Lord said that the work will be tested. And I was looking back on a message I had preached recently on abiding. He was singing that song. I was thinking about it. And it says, the Greek word for abide in the simplest terms means to remain in the same place or position over a long period of time. Describe something that remains where it is 
and continues in a fixed state and endures. How many know that's the whole thing the tent analogy is? We're driven so deep into the ground. We're so grounded in God. And those ropes have been lengthened and we've let God do His perfect work. And how many know we're trying to be in a fixed state where we're unmovable like a tree that's planted by living waters. Hallelujah. Church, it's such a pleasure to come together and be a family and admit. How many know that some places you can't come in and admit your faults? can't admit your weaknesses, but how many know it's a blessing to not put on a mask in church to come in and say, God, strengthen me because what I'm going through, they're going through this all around the world because they want to be right too. You know, they want God to bless their life. They want fruitfulness as a pastor. All I want in my life is fruitfulness. All I want in this church is to see fruitfulness. And church, we're doing that together. Hallelujah. So as we come to the Lord's table, let's just remember all around the world, believers are strengthening in the same way that we are. We've got to be a strength to one another. And we've got to admit our weaknesses and let God. This is where God makes us the barren woman. (laughs) What a wonderful thing. The barren woman, I can see her singing for joy because she couldn't do it. But he could. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm just going to encourage you to serve yourself this morning. I'll serve the platform, but uh, just uh, come up as you will, and we'll take communion together this morning. Hallelujah.